Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, no matter where you're listening, around the world, this is Sedona Talk Radio. And hello, hello everyone there out in the big wide world. This is Helena, Helena Margareta, speaking to you again. And uh, I'm still in Miami. And I know many of you, in, particularly in, up in the cold north, they, you're kind of irritated when I'm saying, oh, I'm in Miami and it's so beautiful and sunny here, and you sit with the cold and the ice and the darkness. But I now have heard that you have beautiful weather all over the place. So welcome to spring, everyone. And welcome to my guests for today. I have uh, two what I feel already I know uh, that they are, Max and Linda Ciampoli. Ciampoli. Did I say that right? Ciampoli is all right. Ciampoli, yeah. okay. Ciampoli, I wasn't yeah. sure Ciampoli because isn't this an Italian name? It is. Yes. And uh, so anyway, we pronounce it the French word Ciampoli. Max Ciampoli. Max Ciampoli was born in Paris long before uh, maybe most of you who are listening that and he lived through the war world war two in a way that we haven't done uh, most of us because we were fortunate enough not to live in a country that was occupied by the nazis uh Max uh, wrote a book, or Max and Linda, his wife, Linda. Hello, Linda. Hello. How are you, Elena? And, of course, hello, Max Champoli. Oui. Hello. C'est moi. <laughs> and uh, you wrote a book called Churchill's Secret Agent. And the secret agent, that was you, Max. Yes. And... Uh, I think most people have been fascinated fascinated by spies through James Bond and you know other movies mm. like this. And uh, you wrote the book that I haven't read yet myself, but I know it's about a lot of stuff that will be absolutely extraordinary. And you saved lives and you also took lives. And I think you also changed the course of history in some ways or in many ways. Uh, I, being a baby boomer, being Swedish, of course, I was fortunate enough not to be occupied by German Nazis uh, during the war. But I lived through the war, you know, long after the war ended because, uh, you know, there were effects that stayed for a long time. And I remember when I got my first banana and first tomato <laughs> and everything else, which, of course, you in America saw all the time. And also my father was very involved in, in the, uh, how shall I say, defense of Sweden and uh, was in charge of uh, the, the defense on an official level. And what was going on in Sweden no one really knew until much later. I don't know if people still today know what goes on. And Max, you said somewhere in an interview about being neutral. Is there such a thing as being neutral during a war? I don't think so. I don't think so. Uh, 
and I why you started. I mean, I didn't have that feeling that people no. would be neutral, except yeah. Sweden. Well, again, I tell you a story that maybe you didn't know. And uh, we all know that uh, Germans occupied Denmark and they occupied Norway. And, of course, in between those country was, countries was, was Sweden. And the Germans had made plans to bomb Stockholm and take over, invade Stockholm and invade the whole country. And then there were a couple of men, I think there were three of them, including my father, I was told later, that they made a deal with, with Hitler's people. And that was, if you do not take over our country and you save us, please just do what you want. And the Germans wanted to get through Sweden to get to Norway and be with, you know, where they already had occupied the country so they can easily get to the Atlantic side of Europe. That's it, yeah. So, yeah, and you probably know that. But then yeah. the Swedes allowed the Germans to go through Sweden at night by train, and the Swedes were sleeping happily, thinking they were all safe and happy and everything else, and they had those masses of German troops going through Sweden. Uh-huh. Which was and did, did the Swedish know? No. Did no they no. didn't know. And maybe not maybe this is the first time they hear about that. But this is shocking. But this is what I mean about being neutral during a war. Yeah. It's very, very hard to be neutral and not to take sides in some way or the other. So Max, what happened now? You you were a French uh, boy and you lived in uh, Monte Carlo with yes. your family. And uh, I'm going to go into that later because it seemed you had a childhood that was a little bit far out in many ways. Is that so? Yes, it is. It is. Yeah, his was, you wouldn't call it a normal childhood when um, he was taken away from his mother's breast, basically, at 18 months old and then wasn't allowed any interaction with his mother at all. And um, he doesn't know why. And his father, for some reason, hated him and um, wouldn't allow him to talk or be with his mother at all. And um, and he lived in a different floor in their villa and um, finally got a tutor, and a tutor who was from Austria. He was a retired colonel from the Austrian cavalry. And Max was three years old. And that's when he actually got a father figure because the man was very disciplined and um, taught Max so many things, how to ride horses, how to ski, how to play tennis, besides all the regular subjects. And Max and he were very close, though they still had a certain distance, but this was a man that Max really respected. And his father was a fascist and he came to hate his father, and he his father also beat his mother, and so his mother was abused, and Max would see her face bruised from a distance uh, on the property, but um, and, and started putting together the pieces and realized that his mother was beaten by his father. Yeah. You know, this sounds like a horror movie uh, in, in many ways, you know, and that these things actually happen, and I'm sure they happen. Uh, more than we realize. And this this is uh, terrible. So uh, I don't know if we should talk more about it, but so you never could see your mother? 
No, I will see her from a distance. I will see her when a chauffeur will take her uh, with a car, with a limousine to the busy salon and things like that. But she wasn't allowed to go by herself. She did have a governess. Somebody would be responsible for her. She was a German lady, and uh, she was not a free woman. She was a slave. The governess, yeah. seems, was a German lady, and um, yeah. and she was never allowed to go any place by herself. Wow. And your father, what did he do for a living? He did have a nightclubs. He had uh, three nightclubs in Monte Carlo, the Liquor Bocaire, the Sesame, and the Tip Top. Oh, so he was, and so he lived here with glamorous, uh, in a like, glamorous lifestyle, and no one had yeah, any idea the, what kind of man your, he was. Your king was a, a regular customer. Yeah, the king of Sweden was a regular customer of his. Of the Nikia uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was, and uh, I yeah. mean, not a celebrity. Yeah. The jet setters yeah, at the time, too. except there were no jets. Yeah. So, uh, uh, okay. So now we we move we passed move we we move forward, and uh, so now it came to a time of occupation. Uh, the French invaded the uh, country, and what happened to the Frenchmen? Do they just sit down and say, "Oh, we are occupied," or did they defend their country? Very good. Good thing, uh, Marshal Pétain. Uh, became uh, like a so soi-disant a partisan, I mean, a partisan, a collaborator with the German, but really he wasn't, and I can tell you this for a fact. I mean, uh, he organized youth camp to uh, save the youth in Setugo, Germany. They would have a youth camp where they could go and escaped the German. Uh, I've been there on a mission one time, and uh, I observed the whole situation, and the commanding officer, they were all for, against the German. Yeah. And but you, you, you'll see when you read the book, you will understand, yeah. when you will have more time to digest that. Yeah, okay. And so now, after a while, that uh, the Germans had occupied all France. How did you feel? Because by that time you were a student at the university, studying yeah. to become well, a dentist. Actually, actually, no. 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 Um, no. Oh, uh, so, no, actually, he was a, when he heard the rumors of war coming, he was a student at the university and he was going to be a dentist. But when he heard the rumors of war, he decided to quit the university and, even though he was under age, see if he could get into the service. And he was able to do that with the help of people he knew from Monaco. And he got into the Alpine Ski Troop. And because, of course, he had taken with the Jesuits. He was with the Jesuits in a school of 12 boys from the time he was seven to the time he was 14. And he had something similar in the United States. We have an ROTC course, and you can go into the service as an officer. And he went into the service as a lieutenant. And he was up in um, in Grenoble, in Grenoble, and uh, Chamonix. in Chamonix. And he had his, he was training his troop 
in Chamonix, and uh, he said he'd had them very well trained and ready, and there was a, a problem, and it wasn't only a problem that his troop had, but a problem throughout French troops, in that the ammunition they had didn't fit the rifles and the weapons, and the weapons were uh, useless, of course, without the ammunition. And he he thinks uh, that there's been talk that it was the fifth column, the Germans who had um, infiltrated the the French factories and had done something with the ammunition, and also that the French weren't organized like the Germans were. All kinds of things have been said, and Max doesn't really know the truth. He just knows his troops were well-trained and they were ready to fight. And then his commander says, France has capitulated, and um, Germany is now occupying France. We've lost, and disperse your troops. And they hadn't had a chance to even fire a shot. The thing is, uh, we were lucky having Marshal Pétain, because it was a zone established. The north part of France was occupied by the German, but the south part of France was free. And the Germans oh. could travel through it, but they couldn't stop. That helped oh. us a lot. Well, uh, later, later the south of France was occupied, but not at the beginning. Until Torch. Yeah. So in the south of France, you had what I understand, a godfather who meant a lot to you. And yeah. you contacted him, or he contacted you, or how was no, it con- during this I, time? You contacted I him. I contacted him, yeah. I went there and I said, now we've been defeated. I want to do something. I want to fight. I want to get rid of this devil. And anyway, go ahead, Tony. And, uh, um, and so his godfather remembered that there was this Eng- English gentleman who used to vacation and would stay near where he lived in Cap d'Antibes, and that man was Winston Churchill. And when Max was a little boy of three and four years old, uh, Winston Churchill would be painting on his front lawn and have his assistant bring the little kids in the neighborhood cookies. And so that yeah. was Max's first contact, and now he's 17 did years you, old. Do Max remember that contact at all? Was oh yes, I do. I do. Age? I do remember things when I was two years old, even younger. I remember wow. when I was nursing my mother, and I was in Nickerbocker, and I remember things long, long ago. So you were there, you know, that's quite unusual. Babies do usually not remember, as we know. Uh-huh. So yeah, you, but I'm you, different. You are a different kind of person. <laughs> yeah, he is. He has an incredible yeah. memory. And he, he remembers, not a lot, but when he was two years old, he remembers a, a thing or two, and he was sent to the nuns, and he remembers that. And uh, that's uh-huh. how he wound up getting a tutor. He was sent to the nuns. And he one and they woke him up because he didn't wake up at the time he was supposed to the first day. They threw uh, put a sponge with icy cold water and wrung it out over his face. And Max was angry, and he's only about two, two and a half. He's about two and a half years yeah. old. 
And uh, so he decides, he makes his bed, this is so funny, he makes his bed, you know, with pillows looking like a person, and uh, he hides under the bed. And when the morning comes, and he doesn't get up because he's under the bed, and the nun comes and does her sponge routine, bringing water out on the bed, he lifts up her skirt and bites her thigh as hard as he can. And he's taken by the... (laughs) He's taken by the ear to to the mother superior, and she calls his home, his parents, and they send the chauffeur to pick him up. But he didn't have to stay. With the <laughs> he was, didn't have to stay with the nuns, and then that's when they got him the tutor. <laughs> well, I suppose that was a good thing for you, wasn't it? Oh, that tutor changed your life. Yeah. So, uh, but you know, we also get an insight here in how society functioned, uh, you know, some time ago, particularly in the European tradition, you know, with the nuns and, 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 and with the abusing father. And maybe these things haven't changed. I don't know. That, uh, that I don't know, but his Jesuit yeah. school, and it was a very disciplined Jesuit school, but it was only 12 kids, and oftentimes uh, if he felt like studying, there would be one of the um, brothers who would stay with him. If he wanted to stay up till midnight and study, they would just stay with him and study with him. So, I mean, it was a wonderful school, and it was run by the Paraclete brothers. And... Um, and that was in Nice, and he stayed there for seven years. And then they, his he, Max was dis, disinherited from his father, so he had no money. And they helped him with his books and finding him a job in Aix-en-Provence, where he was planning to uh, become a dentist. And they, yeah. it was because of them that he had that money to start with and a place to stay and uh, got him into the university and really took care of him at the beginning yeah, of his fantastic. studies. Yeah. Fantastic, yeah. So now, Mr. Godfather, you know, in the south of France on the French Riviera, calls up Ch- Churchill in England and uh, says that you are willing to serve uh, and save your country and help your country. So what happened next, Max? The thing I did, uh, he sent me uh, with an airplane, Turkish airplane, who land in uh, uh, Portugal. Uh, I did have to go to Portugal first, but there was a free zone, and uh, I could travel uh, freely. I mean, the German... Yeah, Portugal was neutral. Yeah. Uh, like yeah. you said, Helena, Portugal was neutral. And uh, yeah. flew to... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know what you're saying. Yeah, so um, you landed in Portugal, and you were driven... Uh, you, you, they flew you no. to England. Yes, and uh, then they picked me up at the airport. I did not speak English. I only spoke German, Italian, and Latin, and whatever. But and French. And French. And French, but, of course, yeah. And uh, I was uh, driven automatically to one of his house, I mean Churchill's house, and then uh, he sent me for training, and uh, first thing they did... They sent me to in Farkaston to a clinic to drill a tooth of mine, a molar, on the right side. And after they drilled the tooth, they, the tooth was made to have a cyanide pill to in case you know, uh, I need it just to crush and die. But 
I am still here and I didn't do it. But anyway, it was a cap put on and they trained me for weeks not to get the cap off my tooth and you know, in case but the cyanide, cyanide yeah. in it with the poison yeah. in it, yeah. Uh, and this is, uh, you know, I would be terrified of having, you know, cyanide poison in a tooth. Oh, I but mean, you know, really you need a good training to... for that. Yeah, you need a good training. And... In the in the book, I called it tongue training because he had to know how to get it off, how to get the cap off, yeah. and yet not knock I'll it off. It back too. And how to put it back, and how how not to get it off. And after that, he yeah. sent me to Scotland uh, to learn how to parachute because I never parachuted in my life. Was it a spy school, so-called spy school, or was it a regular? Uh, this was a, t- a training uh, for parachute jump and for uh, uh, combat. Uh, uh, what you say that person to person. Uh, hand-to-hand combat. Hand-to-hand, hand-to-hand, that's right. And then after that, uh, I went back to his house, and uh, he sent me to different missions all over Europe. And he usually sent Max, um, um, people think that he was part of the SOE, and he wasn't. He was just an individual spy for Winston Churchill. And I'm sure he wasn't the only one, but um, in fact, we read another book of another spy. But um, he would so be he sent was on mission. His personal he, spy, he, he was, was yeah. Churchill's personal spy. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, he didn't work with a group of people. I mean, sometimes there would be other people involved in a mission, but Max was always sent out alone and with a goal, and then it was up to Max to figure out how to attain the goal that Churchill had. So he had a lot of, um, I mean, he was able to use his creativity quite a lot and his contacts because growing up in Monaco, he had some wonderful contacts. Josephine Baker. Spies are asked to be spies because they are in a particular position where they have social contacts. Yes. And uh, even just a little byline to this, when I went to school in Switzerland, I was sent to university in, in Switzerland, my mother said when I left, she said, do not allow anyone to talk you into becoming a spy now. Oh, really? <laughs> because again, yeah, because, again, I was the social group and the looks and so on that would probably be asked. And uh-huh. uh, she was right. But, uh, you know, so they're out there all the time uh, asking, you know, for whatever. But, of course, I didn't do anything about it. Uh, but it's interesting how... This is going around that you uh, have Switzerland, to be yeah. S- Switzerland was one of my uh, safe house. In one word, each time I need a safe house, I would go to Switzerland to Lausanne at the Ecole Hotelier, the, the hotel school. Hotel school, and that oh, was yeah. my, and that's where I learned how to cook. Ah. <laughs> oh. Yeah, yeah that, that, was his, that was his safe house, and that's uh, actually he had learned at the beginning to learn how to cook with the Jesuits because he seemed to be fascinated with cooking from a very early age, and he was in the yeah. kitchen quite a bit when he was with the Jesuits because all the kids helped with different aspects of, of growing and the cooking because they grew a lot of their food, right, Matt? Oh, yeah, all of their food yeah. was. 
Did it help you in your spying career, so to speak, to know about food and cooking? Uh, yes. Uh, if you uh, needed an undercover, you know, camouflage for something to, to post yes, anywhere. Yes, exactly. One time, uh, Churchill sent me uh, all over Europe. He uh, parachuted motorcycle, sidecar to me, uh, white and uh, with a red cross on it. And I was supposed to be a magazine uh, food gourmet representative. And I went all over to uh, Greece, uh, Bulgaria, Romania, whatever. And I did some stop at some restaurant. And I knew what I was talking about. But I was, on in one word, a way to infiltrate the different country. And he was able yeah. to see what kind of concentration of troops yeah. the Germans and or Italians had in those different countries and what sympathies the people had and was able to report that back to Churchill on that trip. And he was yeah. able to ride a sidecar, and he loved that. It was a nomron, and he loved ah. that motorcycle and traveled all yeah. over Europe on it. Well, of course, at that time you didn't have, you had a different kind of traffic pattern. How did you afterwards get the information back to Churchill? This was long before the cell phones. So <laughs> how, how did you get it back to him? Uh, two different uh, contacts I did have. I knew where, who they were, why some of them were lawyers, some of them were notaries, some of them well, doctors, uh, professor, or whatever. It was always somebody I could go to uh, to uh, send a message to England. It was in code. And send, and send the information. And yeah. once he got it, he just turned it over to the contact. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it, it's, it's a lot. Did you trust, did you ever have a contact that would not be a true contact or they would report you or something like this? Did, could you trust everyone you came along? Uh, the, the one I didn't know was contact with no uh, regret because uh, if one contact uh, had happened one time, I did have uh, to take care of him. But uh, uh, it didn't last long, a few hours, and he was dead. If they found out, yeah, yeah, you know, uh, did you, were you ever found out by the Nazis? Did they ever arrest you or anything like that? I was prisoner twice. Oh, you were, and you got out of that. My goodness. Yeah, and you How? guess what? The Germans saved me. The partisan came in, got me out of prison. There was the German partisans. Oh, those against those against Hitler who saved him from Compiègne, which was a, in Paris. A, a outside of, was in Paris, yeah. Uh, outside of Paris. And uh, it, without, if it hadn't been for the Germans, I which is here. funny to say, but if it hadn't been for the Germans, Max would be dead. Yeah. I was hanged by the thumb for four days and three nights. Really? Wow. You know how they invent things. It's it, it's horrible to hear about uh, war on the whole. And uh, before actually, I if you go, to, 
for, for that, that happens to even be on the website. If you go under the book on the website, churchillsecretagent.com, and go on to the prologue, which is under book, it tells you about the scene where Max was being tortured one time and tells what they did. I mean, they're just barbaric. Anybody yeah. who tortures anybody is barbaric. But, um, well, of yeah. course, and I, I don't understand that. And did you... Did you then try to get that tooth, you know, get to that tooth, Max? No, when you never. When you were in the situation, no. I never thought about it. But what was fun? well, not funny, they hit him across the face with this wet towel, and it knocked the cap off. And so while they're wow. questioning, while they're questioning him, he's just trying with his tongue to get the cap back on. That's all he wants to do is get the cap back on. And they're questioning him, torturing him, and he just wants to get the cap back on and the and the the pill back into the tooth, and which he was able to do, and uh, continued on with the torture. And but that was really interesting because what he decided to do first, he decided to. Um, not say anything and be very stoic while they were torturing him. And then he decided, well, he'll just writhe with the pain and scream and scream and scream. And he was trying to manipulate them. And when they, um, he, his goal at that mission was to spread the word that there was going to be an, uh, an invasion in the south of France, which wasn't true at that time. It was going to be in the north. And to divert uh, troops from the Russian front down to the south, so that they would uh, it would be easier it would be easier for them because a lot of the German troops would be uh, uh, it would be easier for the Russians. So anyway, um, he decided that he would confess the false information, and that's what he did. He confessed the false information that there was oh, going to be invasion in the south of France. So he was. Even though he was captured and being tortured, he was able to still fulfill his mission. Fantastic. So that's really good. So, and now, how how was he saved from that situation? How could the partisan get him out? I mean, ah, that was the same method with. Yeah, it was. So he was. So he's in this prison, and Churchill found out about it, and anyway, um, sent. Um, these Germans who were anti-Nazi, and they had five trucks, and they came with all the proper papers, all false, but all the proper papers that they had to clean the prison. And it was an emergency because there was going to be a, that afternoon, there was going to be a uh, an inspection, a surprise inspection. And so they had these five trucks and were able to convince them that it was the truth, and they got in the the prison, and Max's code name at the time was Russian Sock. And they went from cell to cell, uh, looking for the man named Russian Sock. And uh, when they found Max, they stuffed him into one of the um, one of the barrels that was filled with um, trash and 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 refuse, and um, and took him out. And in and the, uh, sent him up the dumb waiter and loader uh, and put him on on the truck and got him out that way. The lady who was in charge of this group was uh, Countess von Braun. She was the niece of the uh, Kaiser, one of the nieces. Von Breda. Oh, von Breda. Really? Yeah. yeah. That's she fantastic. wasn't there. She wasn't yeah, there, but, but she, she organized the whole thing. Yeah. 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 And 
you know, were there many famous people, I mean, well-known names who were actually in the resistance in France or in Germany? Did oh, you, yeah. Now you can tell us the names. Oh, yeah. You, uh, which ones would you like to mention? I start, <laughs> I start uh, Josephine Baker to start mm-hmm. with. You know Josephine Baker? Yes, I know about her. I don't think people out there know about her because I knew the nightclub scenes of Paris, you know, right. and I think and you I think you could call stage. I think you could call her. She was the her. one dressed the, the, in bananas only. Right, <laughs> right. Uh, she yeah. was, uh, we could call her the first uh, African-American superstar now. I mean, she yeah, was... She was. Um, she she was in, incredibly respected in Europe and very popular in Europe, not as much in the United States. But in Europe, oh, my goodness, everybody knew and loved Josephine Baker. She was r- quite incredible. And she stayed and on actually, for a long time, yes. Oh, yeah. She even yeah, came she, to Sweden and performed there, and she was, of course, uh, on the stage in Paris. So she she must have lived a long life. Yeah, and she wound up uh, adopting 13, I think it was 13 children. She was given the French Medal of Honor for her work during World War II. Yeah. And uh, to name some, uh, the producer Cocteau, uh, the one who... Jean uh, Cocteau, he was also... Oh, really? He was Jean Marais, uh, who was one of the actors in that... uh, a film, a very uh, big film, yeah, yes. and uh, Maurice Chevalier. Mm-hmm. Maurice Chevalier. I think even uh, Americans know about Maurice Chevalier. And yeah, yeah but they, they thought he was a, a pro-German, but he wasn't. He was forced to work for them. He even yeah. is the one that drove me uh, to the Vatican uh, to get some birth certificate for kids. Yeah, Max was. Uh, accorded an audience with the pope and um he needed to pr- he wanted to prove that these uh, jewish kids that he had gotten out of this holding camp in drancy outside of paris he needed to prove that they were christian and so he got them false identities but uh, false identities he didn't feel was enough so since max was um baptized at the vatican he asked for a um, an audience with the Pope, and uh, he was a, accorded an audience with the Pope, and it was Maurice Chevalier who drove him because he had all the Ausweis, and he was able to get out of France and to Rome safely, and Max was able to get in to see the Pope, and the Pope agreed on their printing press to print him thousands, I mean thousands, oh, yeah. of uh, three baptismal. Three or four thousand baptismal yeah. papers and um with those he spread them out at the different dioceses in France and w- were able to prove that those children that he was able to get out of that camp who were destined to go to Poland and to the were, death camps um yeah, he was well. able to um prove that they were christian in fact and in fact catholic so but if anyone listens to this show now and they know they got out you know this kind of way from France, well, call us back or write back. Oh, yeah. Back. We'd, lo- oh, we'd uh, love to find you. out. Yes, we'd love to find I'm out sure anybody. That uh, we will have some listener of that kind. I'm surprised when you have this internet radio, how many people it reaches in so many different walks of life and in so right. many different countries. 
uh-huh. and much more so than the instant TV show. <laughs> really? So, um, yeah, I, I'm amazed because I get emails from countries where I didn't even know they had in the Internet. Really? And that could be in the depths of Africa or Pakistan and from women in those countries where you didn't think women were allowed to do anything. So I'm amazed at the power of the Internet. It's amazing. Amazing. It is amazing. And, you know, here, uh, um, just a little while ago, I um, was thinking, oh, I have many young people on the show. They might not even know who Winston Churchill was. So I called up my granddaughter who goes to college in uh, Ohio. And I asked her, do you know who Winston Churchill was? And she said, of course I do. He was one of the big three. He got the Nobel Prize for for his books and, you know, all that. And I was very surprised. And I said, do you think your friends know this too? And she said, no. And I Uh, said, well, what do they do? Well, they just pull out their telephone, go to Google and put in Churchill, and they will get the answer. This is today's. That's why I did want write my memoir because I wish that every school anywhere in the world would teach them and tell them what we went through the, during the war because it might happen again. And this is your feeling that it could happen yeah. again because That's I was going feeling. to ask you that. Exactly yeah. is my feeling because. The communists in South America, uh, everywhere, whatever they are, and I wouldn't, they, I, people, are, religious people, who became fanatic. I mean, yeah. we have to be aware of that. And uh, the youth here in the United States, they don't, they don't have that kind of education and information. That's what I wish wish you could read the book. I really feel that, uh, well, you are doing a very good thing with the marketing now, and you're already on the national bestseller list. I think that should be made a movie, and that's your next step here, to get it to be a movie, because your story is incredible, and it's so important to get, uh, to, to show history to our young people. And, uh, and you know think? what? Since since you reach out to an international audience, I act, we actually partnered with somebody in Los Angeles, and we are looking to make a movie, and it's in process. And we really need to find somebody who can play Max, and somebody who's oh seventeen to twenty one, even twenty five, who looks younger, who could play Max, because the book takes place when Max was between seventeen and twenty one. And we need somebody very rugged looking, and I and I think European would be great. I mean, it would be the role of the century. And uh, I'm hoping we find a, a European actor. Let I me know you should find out. <laughs> Maybe a Frenchman too. You know, there's some good looking have to guys. Be a but a Frenchman, or but it with, could, it, you know, it, could it, be. it could. Any, any, any way. Because yeah. an actor normally knows how to put on accents, and it'll be done in English, and uh, the film will be done in English, as far as we know. Course, and yeah. uh, at least that's what we're looking for. Or possibly it's also being presented to an uh, as a television television series, but not just be another uh, good thing. yeah. 
Yeah. So um, anyway, so we're we're open to we're open to a lot of of avenues here. Yeah, and because history disappears, and someone said to me, there's one big difference between humans and animals. Animals don't repeat the same mistake twice huh? or three times, and the humans keep on doing it. <laughs> we and they don't come back. Wars. Yeah. What do you feel? And, and Max about? said, and the animals don't talk back. <laughs> they don't. No, they don't. <laughs> you know, that's very true. I'm a great believer in animals, uh, you know, uh, very much. And I cannot believe how people can treat animals badly, as I cannot understand how people are treating people badly, like the torture you had to go through, Max. It was, mm. Uh, and there was another time when you were also caught. How would, how did you get out of that? You know what? And I was going to bring that up while you were saying about animals, because the man who Max um, jumped, he he had to get into Europe by jumping from an airplane at night with a parachute that you couldn't manipulate at all, and one time wound up in a tree, and he was stuck. He couldn't he couldn't reach to cut himself out, and there was somebody below the tree who greeted him, and a man happened to be a commander in a panzer unit, a German panzer unit. And he says, what are you doing there? And Max said, oh, I'm just a tourist. And uh, so I mean, that that, that is Max's sense of humor. And the guy was smoking a pipe and everything. But anyway, they got him. They mowed down the tree with one of the um, tanks. And uh, the point I wanted to get to, Max and he went to his tent and had a smoke smoke pipes together. And as they were talking, he said, "Really, where I was was I had a I had a cavalry unit, and we were on the Russian front, and we had to kill our horses to to survive. We had to eat them." And yeah. talk about and he 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 was so ashamed of that, and he shared it with Max, and. Uh, decided to have uh, to let Max go and he said I'm going to put a a guard with you he has five children he's uh, bigger than you so you can take his clothes and he let Max go and directed Max to where he could find uh, the motorcycles and he said just take one of the motorcycles they have the keys in it and he he let him go and um, that was where he was caught the time before and was let go again by a German yeah you know, uh, and I would like to make another little story that for for the listeners that uh, I was married to a German, uh, and that is the Steiner in my name, and uh, he was the son of uh, I don't know what the father was, maybe a colonel or something. He had his own troop, commanded his own troops, and of course he was an officer before the war, so that was his job, and uh, he. Uh, during the war, he actually saved many Jews from uh, from death, from death uh-huh. camps. And he did it over and over, any time he could. So not all Germans were bad, so to speak. They didn't decide on the war. I mean, Hitler was the one who decided on all those terrible things. And that's, that's what I wanted to say. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and that it's proved out. Max was saved two times. He wouldn't have been here if it hadn't been for the German uh, Germans who were against Hitler. Yeah, 
And there were many, uh, of course, uh, and particularly the upper classes. And uh, uh, well, I would say the upper classes, uh, uh, the ones of the education and the ones who could think for themselves. There would be. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you ever uh, get some kind of or cultivate any German friendship, uh, Max? No, uh, no, I never did because. Um, when you're an agent, you have to avoid having contact with people who might yeah. be against us, I mean, against the ally. And I try to stay away from everybody, not to asking questions or uh, try not to be obvious that you're an agent. You know what I mean? I never yeah. have any contact with people. No, but people uh, in general, not, not just not just Germans. He just didn't make friends no. in yeah. general because it wasn't a wise thing to do. No, and I was going to ask that also. How wise would it be to to be too chummy chummy with people? No, you can't. And even to to fall in love. Did you fall in love? Is this a personal question? Did you fall in love with any anyone during this time? Uh, let me tell you. I like you. <laughs> I like you, you're a wonderful lady, but I'm too old for you. But I've married the dream of my life, and she's right there on the other side of the line there. I'll let her finish that. <laughs> yeah. He didn't. And that's very the, answer to your, <laughs> the answer to that question is no. He, he didn't fall in love during the war. In fact, when you read the book, he didn't have any uh, trysts at all with anyone during the war. Yeah. And, and, and people, when we first wrote the book, said, oh, you've, you've got to put in some sex. You've got to put in some relationships. And Max said, no, it didn't happen. He said, I had only one thing in my mind, and that was to get the Germans out of my country. That's all I wanted to do. I wanted to have our country back. That's it. And so, no, he didn't have any relationships during the war. And uh, we've been married, it'll be next that- month, 20 years. Yeah, well, it, but I say that because many times this is how you fall, you know, that yes. that you can get into trouble. So you really have to let your personal life be on the side. But you've been married for how long, uh, Linda? 20 years uh, next month. Oh, that's what you just said. Uh, yeah. But you have known each other for how for how long? Oh, 25 years. Yeah. yeah. And, she took advantage of me. You know that well, she took a sentence from me. And this over internet radio <laughs> I want the world to know. <laughs> he's a man you don't take advantage of without him being willing. <laughs> uh, he, he's, he's a Frenchman who knows how to cook. So but, and I was going to and yeah. I was going to ask you this because I talked to uh, one of my clients and her father is the king and uh, he um, uh, they had a chef, and he said you can not cook or use olive oil for frying. Is you that cannot, true? You cannot, you cannot fry pepper. in olive oil. Is that right? Uh, or do you use yes. kind of oil? Yes and no. All depends if you take uh, the deep fry cooking, no. you need canola oil or uh-huh. mixed maybe with a little. Uh, olive oil, 
Okay. But the yeah. one the one I like for myself, if I could afford it, is to use hazelnut. Hazelnut oil. Hazelnut if oil. I could oh. afford it. But it's so That's expensive. That's for frying, frying food, so to speak. In, anything in a salad, in, a, in any, any way you want, this, if you taste it, is better than nut oil or hazelnut or well, in any, also, any oil. Also, uh, this little French restaurant we go to, uh, they use peanut oil for their French fries. Yeah. And that's really good. But Max, for sautéing, now there's a difference between sautéing and frying, and Max use, uses virgin olive oil for yeah. when you're sautéing, but he cooks, like when he cooks onions down and, and cooks them for hours until yeah, it's right. almost uh, butter, and for that he uses olive oil, right? Yeah, I do because I can't afford the... You can afford virgin olive oil, but not <laughs> no, oil. Peanuts, peanuts. <laughs> I mean, not peanut, hazelnut. Uh, <laughs> no, that's my favorite. wonderful information, you know. And uh, when do you use butter? Because I like, I put butter on a lot of stuff, you know. Uh, I use time, basically, but I use butter. I really, I really uh, uh, since I came to the United States, in France I use a lot of butter, but in the United States, um, butter has salt in it, most of it. If it's sweet, huh? it has too much water and uh, you have to clarify uh, get the water out of the butter before I can cook. Oh, so I didn't know that's why he didn't use butter. Yeah. See, I learned something too, Helena. <laughs> See, this is, you know, you learn every day. So, but yeah. how, how come you became a chef uh, in America? You came to America, you became a citizen. Uh-huh. Uh, no, and, no, uh, no. I didn't become a oh. citizen first. I went to Haiti yeah, okay. and I opened a, a restaurant over there, a hotel. And then after eight, nine months, a coup came in. Uh, I got sent back to to United States with a visa of a political refugee. That saved me years of waiting. And there was a quota system at that were, time, and yeah. the French quota was two to three years normally, but he was only out for about nine months when that coup happened, and he was sent to the United States, and they accepted him in, and he could work. But he uh, became an American uh, citizen in '56. Yeah, I went uh, uh, to work for the World of Astoria as a chef room service, and after that, I was a banquet chef at the World of Astoria, and then uh, the executive chef of the World of uh, found me a job in Houston, Texas. I opened the Shamrock in Houston, Texas. It was uh, with air conditioning kitchen. It was the first air conditioning in the United States. The McCarthy was the owner. Glenn McCarthy, yeah. Yeah, Glenn uh, uh, spent... Only for the air conditioning, it was $3 million, if I remember. And uh, if you look that up on the Internet, the Shamrock Hotel in Houston, you'll see the biggest opening of a hotel. I mean, it was they, he flew in Hollywood stars and had a, what was it, three months? You three had months a, a three months A three-month opening. All free. And the, the swimming pool, they had... Um, 
the synchronized swimming, and they had uh, uh, exhibitions on ski. I mean, it was it was real. We met somebody from Houston uh, a couple of months ago, and they said, "Oh yeah, that was the biggest thing that ever happened in Houston." Especially that was in the fifties. And after that, I did have uh, my contract was over, and I went to Lakeshore, Louisiana, uh, for uh, uh, an oil man uh, club, and we have 175 ma- members there. But after a few months, uh, they got caught gambling, or they closed uh, the club. And I went back to New York, went back to see my friend, the executive chef of the World of Astoria, and he said, okay, work for me now, and then I will find a job. Oh, I did work for him, and after that, uh, he got somebody who wants him to work for him, and he said, no, I don't, I'm, I'm well established here. I've been over 30 years in that hotel but I have somebody you might want use. He's a Frenchman. He doesn't speak much English, but he can cook or he can conduct uh, the kitchens. Or he sent me, I mean, the man came in, it was Mr. Coppola, uh, Harold Coppola was his name, and Sam Coppola, his father. And uh, I went to to St. Louis, Missouri. I observe, I didn't like it. That was at the Chase and Park Plaza. Yeah, I didn't like it, and I went back to New York, and after that, he said, that's a good thing you did that, because now you you have the aces in your hand. You can ask anything you want now. And uh, the man called back, he said, you know, uh, the chef you sent me, uh, didn't like the climate and the bugs and so on. He said, oh. and he went back. He said, yes, I know he's right here in my office. Uh, and he, Mr. Coppler was play, a really uh, a nice man. They were really wonderful. And then I went back over there. Well, Coppler negotiated. Uh, I mean, um, the chef, executive chef, negotiated with Coppola and got him an unheard of salary, an unheard of benefits for Max to go, because Max didn't want to go. But once he heard what they were offering, he said, well, for that, I'll go. And I got a villa (laughs) with a swimming pool inside and outside and uh, three bedrooms, all the food, all the everything. That's that's, uh, wonderful. You have been... Do you consider yourself lucky? I mean, your childhood didn't seem too lucky, but at least you were uh, not No, I, I, I was lucky in a way, even when yeah. I was a child. It made me uh, to go up faster, and uh, thank God uh, my father got this uh, tutor for me. Everything uh, he did uh, just like sent me to the Jesuits. That was another yeah. blessing. And yeah. everybody, I mean, every mission I made, I, I didn't miss even one mission. I mean, I was lucky all my life. And now I have, I'm talking to you too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, you began to write 
the book, and I understand you started to have nightmares, and Linda asked you to put it down in writing what yeah. you had for them. Well, he hadn't been back to Europe since 1947 when he came to the U.S., and he hadn't been back to Europe in all that time. And back in 91, uh, toward the end of the year, uh, we ha- I had time to get off work, and uh, we took, it was in November, we took uh, a trip to Europe because that's where I wanted to go. And after we came back from Europe, he started having the nightmares because that reminded him of things he had been trying all his life to forget and pretty yeah. well succeeded. And all all the old memories flooded back, and he was having nightmares and waking up screaming. And um, what I told him was that when things bothered me, I wrote it out, and that helped me a lot. And that uh, that's what he did. He started writing them out because I, I suggested he try it, and he did. And his memories are in French, so he wrote it in French. And after a time... Um, it was piling up. Papers were piling up. Those yellow legal pads were piles yeah, and piles. And I eventually decided, well, why don't we just translate this and write it out? And so we did. And that's how that was back in the 90s. And uh, so basically, most of the manuscript was ready back in the 90s. And but we didn't find an agent until 2008. But then to have the book out so soon, that's pretty fast going, though. Well, yeah, Uh, actually, the agent took it to, in March, no, at the end of March, April, the agent took it to New York, and there were seven publishers that were interested at first, and then we honed it down to Berkeley Penguin, and they offered us a deal that uh, we liked and we accepted. So that was... uh, that was April of 2008, and then it came out in December 2010. Well, I think that's pretty. That's that's fast going for the way books are published nowadays. It takes a couple of years usually before they're out. Well, know, at the minimum, it takes a, at a minimum it's at least a year because you have to go through yeah. a whole editing process. Yeah. And for yeah. ours, it was originally a memoir, and then they decided it would be better. For whatever reason, they usually go by bottom line, but uh, it would be better for them if it were a novel based on a true story, so it needed to be rewritten in, an, in more of a novel form. But when you read it, it, it reads more like a short memoir because yeah. they took we out have seven, that. 17 chapters. Yeah, wow. Do you know we have already gone through the hour here? Oh, no. <laughs> no, already. We're having such a good time. Oh, We're having such that. a good time. And I thought we could actually run over the time when the live recording will kind of finish now in a couple of minutes, but we can continue. And then for everyone who listens afterwards, which will be really the majority of the listeners, they will hear more. So before we uh, end this section here, and we will continue over time, uh, please give your website and where people can get the book and how they can get hold of oh, you. Oh, sure. Yeah, the, website is, sure the website is www.churchillsecretagent.com. And uh, you can get the book anywhere. You can get it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Borders, uh, all the independent bookstores. But uh, Amazon, of course, is usually where people go to get it. And 
oh, and it's a it's in paperback and it's nine ninety nine, and so you can't beat that, not these days. And uh, that's of no. course U.S. Do you have a recording of it also? Because that's how many people do it now. No, but it's on ebook. It's on okay. ebooks, readily available on Kindle and Nook and all the ebooks. Mm-hmm. But um, no, the recording that'll be dependent on the publisher. They they decide what to do from here. Also, people have been ex- actually the next express- step. Pardon me. Yeah, it, it might be the next step. So to right, say that right. Too. Yes, and also yeah, trans, uh, translating, that's also in their their hands because people of interest account. have interest in translating it back into French, and um, that also goes through the publisher. Yeah, thank you. And the publisher, I think you will love it. And the and the Sorry. publisher is Berkeley Penguin, Berkeley Penguin, and you can go to their website and get a hold of them if somebody is interested in having it um, into in a, a different language. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> So but now you, there's so much. The story is so fantastic. Now, Max, um, I saw here yes. you have some rules here, and the question is, if you would start all over again, what would you wish everyone to know? Like, uh, be proud of the one that you are, and so on. Uh, do you have something that you would really want to convey to the young people today? What I would like to convey to the young people is to have their eyes open and be aware that this calamity will come back again, maybe, and I hope not, but it's really what I wish. Yeah. So, uh, and how is it when you were in difficult situations, and I'm very much, for you know, I'm a very spiritual person myself, uh, did you have any feelings towards, oh, dear God, help me now, you know? <laughs> always, always look at God and pray inside of yourself. Yeah. Hope. I mean, I never, I never have a negative thought, really. I want people to be happy. I want them to be themselves have a good life, and I, ne- I never have bad thoughts. You have to think good. When you see something bad, don't think about that. No, just say a prayer. Yeah. And, Linda, what do you like uh, the most about Max as as the human being that you have she doesn't like me. She loves me. <laughs> I like him too. And if I, you know, you can you can fall in love, and love is only one aspect of it. But what I like number one was his um, sense of humor, and uh, he has an extraordinary sense of humor, and also that he's an ethical, kind person. He doesn't seek to do harm, nor does he seek to talk against anybody. He talks for people. He talks in the positive most of the time rather than the negative. And um, besides that, he's terribly charming, has always been, and um, he's a pleasure to be with. And so that was very attractive because when I met him, I was with my boyfriend at the time. And so the three of us became friends. And Mm -hmm. then after I broke up with my boyfriend, um, after a few months, I called Max to see if he would go out with me. 
And when I called him he and asked him, he and I had never asked a man before because I was raised that the girl doesn't ask, the boy does. And uh, so anyway, he said no. And I basically said, why? And he said, well, you and Francois. And I said, well, you know Francois and I aren't going out anymore. And he said, well, just in case you would get back together again, it wouldn't be the right thing to do. Well, I love that. You know, I love a man with ethics, even though it was not treating me very well because I didn't get what I wanted. But eventually he he agreed to go out with me, not on that conversation, but when I called him again a few weeks later, I asked him out for coffee. And uh, the second time for coffee, he said yes. And we went to uh, Venice, California and sat at the outdoor cafe there, and uh, that was our first date. And what, so what I got my man. You, you know. For me? Of course, now you have been out with him before together with your boyfriend, so you knew him pretty well. Yes. Yeah. So was, did you learn another side of him when you were talking to him now? Just, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, because when we first met, I mean, I didn't know anything about his history during World War II. He never talked about that. And it was only oh. after that, yeah, it was only after that trip to um, to to Europe that he started having the nightmares. And that's when I started finding out more about what happened during World War II. He, like many men after wars or women now, uh, they don't, they come back and they don't want to talk about it. They don't want to remember, and that's how he lived his life. He didn't look back, and he didn't even get a hold of anybody from his past. He just looked forward and looked what he was doing now and what he was doing in the future and only wanted to forget about the experiences during the war. And it was because of those nightmares that the experiences just had to come out. Yeah. Because I was just wondering here before, how did you Americans take it that you were a spy and so on? But evidently, you never spoke about it, so they no, didn't know. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, and Max, what what do you like so much about Linda as a woman? What do you like in women that you see? In okay, Linda? Uh, she's she's a real woman. She doesn't lie. She doesn't talk bad about anybody. She's uh, very loving, and she she's so devoted, I would say. And uh, it's, it's just, uh, I can't say, it's another time I got lucky. Yeah. Well, we said we, you have been lucky in life. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm 88 so, um, years old now. And, you know, yeah. being 88 is, is, is kind of old. You'll see in 50 years when you be my age. Well, I am a, 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 an old grandmother, you know, with my... But you're 49 or 50? Well, I'm way, you know, way over that. But I look young for my age, you know, I really do. Good. <laughs> Good. Uh, everyone in my yeah, I am closer to your age than most other people say. No, I'm not over eighty, but I'm an older. You know, I'm a mature woman, but I am working on a different energy, so to speak. So I have I work on the spiritual energy. So I feel exactly that's the way I feel yeah. about you. You have a lot of energy, and 
you're positive, and uh, you did such a good job. Yeah, thank you thank so much. You. No, I, I really love uh, what I do, and that is to, to make people aware of spirit, so to speak, within them That's and around fine. us, and to work on that principle. So, uh, well, I think we we can talk on forever. I just wish you the very best of luck with the book. It should be up there on the list. Uh, Thank you so much, Helena. And it was a pleasure talking to you, and I hope we can stay in contact because you're just a delightful person who we'd love to get to know more. And actually, we're going to be, well, you're you're far away from New York, but uh, we're going to be in New York at the latter part of next month for uh, the Jewish Book Network, Uh or the Jewish Network meet the author event and we're going to go to the book expo of america in uh, new york and so i wish you were closer but if you happen to be in new york we're going well, to be there I go from to the... new york a lot in fact and i'm going to spend ah. much more time in new york i'm not going to live there because i think it's too too cold <laughs> but uh-huh. um, i yeah i would spend more time there work-wise Ah. And I love New York. I think it's, uh, New Yorkers are great people. You have a good time there. They're very, very open. Will, will you be there between the 23rd and the 26th of May? No, then I will be oh. in uh, Europe. I actually oh. believe I'll be in Helsinki. So um, oh. uh, I will announce that now. Everyone in Finland, I should be in Helsinki the last week of uh, May and the first few days of June. Come and see me. <laughs> well, that's the best time to visit those northern countries. <laughs> it's, it's beautiful the, then, yeah. huh? You know, it, everything comes at once. It goes very fast because the nights kind of disappear and everything grows throughout the 20, 24 hours. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's so lush at, at this time of the year. You know, not oh, quite yet, but in a few, in, in a month or so. So well, we thank wish you, you so a wonderful trip. Thank yeah. you. And thank it you, Max. A... Thank you. Nice talking to you. It was lovely talking to you, and uh, I'd like to see you again, and maybe we can sure. continue once your film comes up. You that know, sounds we'll do great. The show again. <laughs> yeah. we'll, okay. we'll, keep, we'll keep in touch. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you, Elena. Thank you, Elena. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yeah, right. Bye-bye. And this was Max and Linda Champoli. And they will have their book out in the bookstore about being being a Church of Secret agent. Thank you all for being with me. My website is www.speakingtoyourheart.com. And get back with me. Next time I will answer questions over the uh, Internet. So send me your faxes or your emails, and I will answer your questions for you. Thank you very much all. Goodbye.